0: Welcome to Biopod, the official podcast for the School of Biological Sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. I'm Severina, and I'm happy to introduce the next episode on advice for PhD students. Today, Liz Gabardiel chats with Gerben van Oyen, a PI in the Institute of Molecular Plant Sciences and a postgraduate advisor in the University of Edinburgh. They talk about Gerben's research, his responsibility as the postgraduate advisor, and his advice for successful studies, as well as life outside of the PhD. So now, over to you, Liz.
1: So today, I'm talking to Dr. Gerben van Ooyen, who is one of the postgraduate advisors here at the University of Edinburgh. Hello, Gerben. It's great to have you on.
2: Hi, Liz. Yeah, nice to talk to you.
1: So, first of all, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your role at the university, and in particular, your role as a postgraduate advisor.
2: Yeah, so I've been at the school um, since 2008, when I joined freshly out of my own PhD in Amsterdam, um, at the Centre for Systems Biology at that time, which is now called Synthesis. Um, Then I moved to PI position on a Royal Society University Research Scholarship in 2012. Um, My lab studies circadian timekeeping. Uh, on a molecular and cellular level, using the model plant Arabidopsis and um, mostly actually a model cell, Osteococcus, which is like a, uh, it's a green alga, but we use it for studying fundamental aspects of timekeeping that are true in, in any eukaryotic cell, really. So, yeah, besides research, as you say, my roles have included being a postgraduate advisor for about six or seven years now. And I've also been a postdoc champion for the past five years. And outside work, I've got two kids, age four and seven. I like cycling, hill walking, and then a bit of running. I play the drums, and I do a lot of homebrewing.
1: Oh wow! So you brew beer, or yes, that's right. Yeah. Cool. Do you use any particular yeast for that? As a yeast biologist, I'm very interested to know this. Right. Of
2: well, any any yeast that suits the, the beer type, really. But I buy them. I buy okay. them. Uh, tried, tried version. I tried growing own well in lab for a while, but so. it was a bit messy.
1: All right. So as a postgraduate advisor, um, what resources and support do you provide, um, you and personally, but also you as a postgraduate advisor in general?
2: Yeah. So um, it's quite a varied role, really. So um, from a student perspective, I guess you would see the postgraduate advisor most because uh, they are, like a point of contact for advice, uh, not just for your students, but also for supervisors on uh, any academic or pastoral issues. So they will talk to you, they will refer you when needed to professional sources of advice or to the head of institute or to the head of the graduate school. In more complicated cases, they are also the point of contact for the postgraduate administrators. So should there be any supervisor issue requiring... Uh, advice or escalation. They organize uh, events for students, Um, for example, new student welcome events in the institute. Uh, They attend the graduate school committee, the committee meetings where kind of the admissions and the procedures are constantly um, reviewed and discussed. They are involved in um, setting up your uh, thesis committee, so they appoint the committee chairs And they will make sure that the supervisory team is appropriate and sign off on all your annual progression reports. Finally, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting things here, but they also have a very large role in uh, recruitment. So annually in in shortlisting of candidates for interview um, and as acting as interview panel members, as chairing panels. So um, they have a large role in making decisions on allocating all our studentships.
1: That's very interesting. So you've seen a lot of uh, PhD applicants in your time here?
2: Yes, absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> I used to do, well, at least 20, 30 interviews a year, yeah.
1: Uh-huh, that's quite a lot. <laughs> I'm sure it gets a bit tiring after
2: a while. Oh no, it's actually uh, it's quite quite a lot of fun to mm-hmm. meet a lot of people and to hear, hear a lot of different research.
1: Lovely. So in these episodes uh, of a PhD, for our PhD advice series, Um, we really want to find out what are some ways and strategies how to have a positive PhD experience. So I was wondering if you have any advice for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to vary quite a lot from (laughs) individual to individual, I guess. But generally, I think what I really would like to advise is um, to always start writing aspects of your thesis like very, very early on, like basically as soon as you finish something you've repeated your experiment, you're you're done with it, you might as well finish your figure to a sort of publication standard and write the method right then, because if you have to do it all at the end, you're going to have to remind yourself, and it's going to take a lot more effort. So if very early on you think about your thesis structure um, and you, you know where your experiments fit in, then you never really lose the oversight and makes it much easier to prioritize experiments, I think so so that's one and um another one i guess would be to really use the support network that's provided for you so not just your your principal supervisor but also your your secondary supervisor your committee chair the graduate school admins the pgas and then myself but also outside the school and central university so there is a lot of support available Um, and it's a good idea to really familiarize yourself with all of that close to the start of your PhD, so that you kind of know the paths when you eventually might need them.
1: Is there a particular area of support, let's say, that you think people don't know about enough and that you would want to point out to people that are PhD students here?
2: Yeah, I think actually generally the the PGA's, PGA's postgraduate advisor, yeah. can offer a lot of help and they don't get a lot of... Um, contact directly from students, so Mm -hmm. students tend to go to their postgraduate administrator Mm -hmm. um, as a first part of call, which is fine, of course, but uh, you also have your PGA, and they have a lot of knowledge generally, so in my time as PGA, students don't really come to me directly very frequently, Mm -hmm. uh, and it would have really been quite helpful, uh, and I could have been much more help to students had they done that a little bit more.
1: Lovely, so um, on the other side of the coin uh, you talked about uh, how you can have a good PhD experience but is there anything that you would say are some pitfalls to avoid, so some some issues that people uh, frequently have that could make it more difficult for them?
2: Yeah, so I really think the main thing there is to not lose yourself as a person, mm-hmm. so a PhD is really challenging um, but not only academically it is mentally super challenging, so I think it's really important not to get like isolated in in your lab and in your in your lab work so it's important for me to to really have good work hygiene so working weekends, working evenings you know you can 't always avoid it, but it should never be a sort of structural situation or structural solution so I encourage everybody to to join the student club or student society to meet new friends and engage in sort of things that you like to do in life, you know, and then even it might still happen that you at any stage don't feel very good, uh, not in a good place mentally for, for a while, uh, and then just talk about it with your supervisors rather than uh, trying to sort it out yourself, so talk to supervisors or mental health first aiders or your PGA or even the the student counselling service because uh, these people are really amazing at what they do. And yeah, just make sure you use that support, uh, even if you don't really think it could be much help because uh, you might be very well, you might be very surprised because they're very good.
1: So in that line, um, what kind of problems can students come to postgraduate advisors with? And also what, what kind of problems do students come to postgraduate advisors with to ask for help and ask for support?
2: What currently happens quite often is that students come to the postgraduate advisor at a stage where a, a problem has kind of spiralled out of control to an extent. So only, only the sort of extreme cases of, of sort of breakdown between relationships between the student and the supervisor, for example, um, come to our attention. Um, so often that's quite close to the submission date. And uh, when it comes to extensions to your submission date, that's what you need to go to a postgraduate advisor for. But it would be much better if uh, students or supervisors did that at an earlier stage, Mm -hmm. because then you can avoid that sort of problem down down the line. So I would say students definitely can come to the postgraduate advisor for anything that that they have doubts about in their PhD. Um, Not maybe necessarily about specific projects, um you know problems with a project although if you then if you have spoken to your supervisor about it and you find they are not helpful or not willing to, to change um uh, your project in, in the way that you that you find find useful then you can go to your PGA. Um, you can go with any questions about the sort of academic side like uh, how much do I need for my thesis? Is this enough? Do I need this extra experiment, you know, uh, really, really anything that you want a second opinion for.
1: So it it does seem like a lot of the problems that people have and people come to postgraduate advisors with is about the relationship with their supervisor, which is obviously a very important thing during your PhD. So do you have any tips and any, any ways to communicate to have a good relationship with your supervisor?
2: Yeah, personally, I I believe in uh, very open communication. Uh, Not everybody will be the same, but from my perspective, your supervisor can't help you or can't take your personal circumstances in account if they don't know about it, Mm -hmm. right? So if there are things about your project or your working environment or anything that affects your your functioning, really, I think it's good to talk about it, uh, raise them in an early stage so, so it doesn't get out of hand. However, this this works both ways, of course, because your supervisor will be a busy person and they might have their own challenges in their own life that you might not know about. So, you know, that dialogue needs to go go both ways. And in the end, your supervisor is also just uh, a person and often Mm -hmm. uh, overburdened with work. So I think both ways you have to try to be understanding and treat each other with, you know, the way you'd like to be treated yourself. So... Just like any other human interaction, really uh, be respectful, but uh, yeah remain critical
1: that's really good to know yeah um and if there is a problem in the relationship or in the way the project works or something like that um postgraduate advisors what kind of um what kind of things can they do what what steps can they take to Resolve an issue and then to help the student with whatever the problem is.
2: Yeah, so um, it starts with um, with finding out kind of the, the facts. So mm-hmm. they will start with uh, a lot of dialogue dialogue with 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 the student, but also um, if the student agrees to that with the other parties uh, involved. So talking to your supervisor or talking with with anybody really that that's involved in the situation. So um there can be situations in which students and their supervisors have a have a different understanding of of a situation maybe because they don't have the same background or because they don't have the same set of facts mm-hmm. really so it starts with listening really and making sense of the whole situation and how the issue has arisen and then often uh actually with some mediation the issue can normally be resolved uh so A postgraduate advisor can certainly help with sort of formalizing an outcome to that process um you know write down what both parties um say and what they what they agree to uh, going forward and then make sure that both parties adhere to what was agreed um but yeah there there can also be cases where that process fails and where there is a, a breakdown of a working relationship beyond repair but Actually, these uh, these cases are fortunately quite rare.
1: So, in a, in a lot of ways, the postgraduate advisors can work as a as a mediator almost between the PhD students and supervisors, and try to sort of find some common ground.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, and if for whatever reason you're not comfortable speaking with your PGA in your own institute, because, for example. You think that they might be friends with your supervisor you can always talk to a pga in a different institute or you can come um, to the director of the graduate school or, or to the graduate school team uh, directly and actually what i forgot to say earlier was um, if students have issues that aren't specific to them as individuals so more general aspects of your experience at the school uh, we also have a great team of student reps in each institute so they can they can actually take issues to the, the staff-student liaison meetings that happen twice a year. And they can also take more urgent matters to the postgraduate committee meetings that happen far more frequently. So it's also a good idea to meet your student representatives if you haven't already done so. Um, and they also often organise social events for you too, for your local postgraduate commu- community.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's great to know. I think this also leads us in very nicely into our next section, because you've recently been appointed the new director of the SBS Graduate School. Yeah. Um, so I think for a lot of people, we're not quite sure what that actually means. So could you explain to us what actually does this job encompass? What do you do, in short?
2: Yeah, so actually there is no role description for it. So I'm <laughs> really? still trying to figure it out. Um, but what I, I do know, of course, is a very, very broad role. So generally, it's, it encompasses, uh, together with the graduate school team to overall promote um, excellence in, in postgraduate research uh, across uh, biological sciences at the university. So we do this by, by reviewing and implementing uh, best practice really in recruitment, in training and development for all our students. Um, The director then convenes and chairs the postgraduate meetings, uh, the staff-student liaison meetings, uh, and several other (laughs) meetings, uh, a lot of meetings, (laughs) Um, and really the director has the responsibility in the end to implement changes to the process we run, from basically from recruitment of BC students all the way to graduation. Uh as discussed it, it sometimes can involve dealing with problems of individual students around supervision or ethics, as discussed uh already, like much like a postgraduate advisor, but where, where it goes beyond beyond that level really. Um then there is a there is a college level aspect to the job too. Uh, of course our school is only one of the seven schools in the College of Science and Engineering. So the directors of all the graduate schools uh, work together in a college postgraduate committee to organize on a higher level any changes in in funding or, or process that come from central university, for example, or that follow on from changes in government funding or immigration rules, etc. Uh, and of course, you know, if a pandemic happens, mm-hmm. that sort of level is very important, for example. Also, the examination of PhD vivas is organized at college level, uh, meaning that the director sits uh, as part of the board of examiners to to approve VIVA outcomes. But uh, I think maybe the most important part that you might not realize is that there's a very important role uh, in organizing the, the funding that we have available for PhD students. So a lot of our studentships, of course, come from very competitive uh, big grants from research funders yeah, to, e- to even have the PhD students. And those applications need to be organized, they need to be coordinated, put in, and then, and then managed in case, in case we get them. So all the universities will be fighting over the same funding. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, I won't have to fight that battle alone. Many of our PIs are involved in these applications and in running the programs. Um, and then these studentships are almost never 100% funded, but they always need match funding from the school. So there's always a lot of negotiation uh, on that aspect to get the money out of the school management, basically. It's it's pretty much as simple as, let's say, we now have 350, roughly, PhD students in the school. And if I would do my job badly over the next five years, we might end up with 100 or 200.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And if you do your job well?
2: Well, who knows? We might have 400 or 450, but... Mm -hmm. uh, of course we're limited by the number of labs that mm-hmm. we have, so we don't want to get more students than we can give a good experience for. Of
1: course, yeah. So I know this is a, going to be a bit of a tricky question and it might sound like an interview question um, for your new role, but what what do you hope to, to do in your new role? What do you hope to achieve? And is there anything that you want to change or improve from the current state
2: of being? Yeah, so So I just took over from uh, Professor Claire Blackburn, and I think she did an absolutely fantastic job with a a lot of enthusiasm and a huge amount of energy. Um, And she's actually done the job in total for 10 years. So I think uh, she's left the graduate school in a very good shape. Um, She'd all be very grateful to her. But of course, there are things to improve. And... Under Claire's leadership, we've just actually finished last year a large uh, independent periodic review of our whole graduate school. Uh, and what we need to do now is to follow up on the recommendations that were made as part of that. So there are changes to be made. Uh, there are several, actually, but I think the biggest change we'll see over the next year or two um, will be uh, a new new training program for all our PhD students. So currently the... amount uh, of training the level of training you will receive strongly depends on the the type of funding that you have for your studentship right for example an east bio student will get a lot of training and uh, a darwin trust funded student gets a lot less for example so what we now want to do is to to really equalize that playing field and give everybody far more equal opportunities uh, by developing a new Research and development program really for all our people that's open for all our PhD students. So, that I think is the biggest change that's that's coming soon.
1: That sounds great, yeah. I've definitely noticed that different people come in with very, very different levels of input from their funding bodies and from their programs. Yeah. So, it would be great to have something that equalizes it a bit more.
2: Yeah, but and that's very important from an equality uh, perspective as well. Um, because People, students will come from lots of different backgrounds and then it almost feels like that difference can be emphasised by the fact that some students get a lot more training than others mm-hmm. and it just currently isn't entirely fair. So we need to really work on that over the next few years. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. So I think this also is kind of related with my next question, which is that, You've, you've been part of some work that has led to trying to commit a lot of time for postdoc self-development um, and just generally you've been championing the sort of self-development of people um, quite a lot. So can you th- tell us more about why you think that's so important, both for postdocs and for PhD students?
2: Yeah, I, it's, it's just very clear to me that researchers must be equipped and supported to be adaptable and, and flexible Uh, given the super diverse uh, research environment and and wider employment market. right? It's clear from the the numbers of PhD students and postdocs that we have, uh, as opposed to the number of academic PI positions that become available, Mm -hmm. that uh, a majority of our researchers will end up in different types of roles and they they simply must be prepared for that. So everybody can choose their own uh, kind of career trajectory uh, and therefore everybody should also have the, the freedom to develop themselves uh, and make them employable, not just in their tiny, detailed scientific niche, mm. but in a much wider field of, of interest. So, because everybody's different and career paths can't, be, can't really be predicted. So, the time that's allocated for research and development, I think, needs to be quite flexible to allow everybody to, you know, develop themselves in whichever direction they uh they see themselves going in. Mm -hmm. I think that's critical.
1: Yeah, And with that, is there anything in particular that you say is quite important for people to do, or is there anything that you would recommend for people to get involved in outside of their research work?
2: Yeah, so it would really depend on on each individual's own own interests, of course, but generally we have to recognise that moving between employment sectors can and will bring benefits to, to research and researchers, uh, and any opportunities that you might get for uh, experiencing that is, is worth doing, I think. So if you have the opportunity, you should engage your industrial placement, uh, for example. You should use the access to wider professional advice on career management and, and training that is available within the university. Um, but yeah, really just consider what your interests are and try to get the training that makes you sort of employable in that area. And, and again, though, you shouldn't forget about like hobbies and other things that make life enjoyable for you uh, outside work, because I don't think many of us will have a great research experience at all if they don't really feel fulfilled as a, in life as a person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, whatever suits you really, you should, you should. Just go and get it,
1: <laughs> yeah. And in particular, I mean, if anyone wants to get involved with Biopod, it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a great uh, student society that mixes both some uh, some sort of related skills, and it's also a fun hobby that we do.
2: Indeed, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. yeah, just do things that you enjoy.
1: Lovely. So, what what would you say coming back to how how you can improve a PhD student's experience? What would you say are your top tips. Um, I say top three tips, but you can give me however many you want. <laughs> um, your top tips to a new PhD student, let's say someone who will start um, this uh, October, for example, on how to make the best of, of their PhD process.
2: Yeah, so let me reiterate. So start writing the moment you finish something and think about how that fits into your thesis structure as as soon as possible to, to sort of focus yourself and, and you know, stop you from getting bogged down into all sorts of blind blind corridors or, or avenues. That that would definitely be one. So, another thing I mentioned um, is, is to really use the support network that is provided to you. So, don't just go on the advice of your primary supervisor, but, you know, talk to your committee chair, talk to your postgraduate advisor, to your, um, you know, your, your, your postgraduate administrator, uh, other people in the school that you might want to talk to. Uh, Central University, all the courses. Just, just use the network that is there. Because it's a waste if you don't. And finally, um, again, try to have a good work hygiene. So work hard, but don't don't lose yourself as a as a person. And just make sure you get to do the things that you enjoy in life. Because otherwise, a PhD is long and can be dark. Mm. Um, and we want happy students.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that in your experience the problem tends to be more the overworking rather than the underworking in PhD students?
2: Um, I've seen it both. But Mm -hmm. yes, I think generally uh, some students feel that they have to be here every day, seven days a week and in evenings. And then I think what what often happens is that they are here but they aren't productively here. Mm -hmm. So I think if you try to work sort of Normal hours, but we really productive and and on the ball as it were. Whenever you're here, that gives you the sort of time and brain space to to also have have downtime and do do enjoyable things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good way to go about it. I think. So finally, what we're asking everyone in this series. Um, how can students get in touch with you? Um, And for you, it would be great if I could hear how can students get in touch with you as a director of uh, the grad school, but also how can students get in touch with um, their postgraduate advisors in general?
2: Yeah, so I hope you all know who your postgraduate advisors are. Um, (laughs) And if not, if you want to talk to somebody in a different institute, you can find all the postgraduate advisors and all the student reps uh, on the the graduate... Uh, wiki mm-hmm. on the wiki um, for the for the graduate school team. You can always come to the Mary Brook building. Actually, the second floor office. They are always there on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, myself, I'm there on Tuesdays, uh, so you can actually just drop by. And the other days of the week, I'm in my own office in the Rutherford building. So drop by, or you can email me. So you can use my personal email address or the or the grad bio red.bio email address to uh, ask for a meeting or, or just to email any questions.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to talking with us.
0: You're very welcome.
1: And have a nice
0: day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned about important resources as well as found helpful advice for a successful PhD journey. Be sure to look up the resources mentioned by Gerben which you can find in the episode description. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to it, and follow us on Twitter at Biopod Edinburgh, Instagram, or Facebook. Otherwise, enjoy your day and see you next time.